Um, this morning we have a wonderful guest that I'm going to introduce you to in just a minute. Her name is Debbie Groner. Um, many of you might know her from our former church, and she's been very gracious to be here today um, to tell us a little bit about our ministry and tell us the story of how she got there. But before I have her come up, I want to create some context around her story by telling you another story. In the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, there is a long genealogy, which you will remember if you've been around the last few weeks. Um, it begins with Abraham, and then it runs down to Jesus. And because this genealogy is at the very beginning of Matthew, it's easy to see the point of the genealogy. And the point of the genealogy is to show us that Jesus isn't just some random guy that shows up, but that actually he's connected all the way back to Abraham and the promise to Abraham to, by God to bless the world through his descendants. And this means that all the people that are on the list before Jesus, that each of their stories contributes to the story of Jesus, the ultimate story of how God intends to redeem the world through Christ, just as every one of our stories does the same. It's like there's this thread of a promise that God has made that winds its way through every generation. And it's, it's really interesting when you realize that, that some of the people whose stories lead to Jesus in this genealogy, well, they're not exactly the best people. Today we're going to take a look at a woman named Rahab. She shows up in the genealogy of Matthew in this way. It says, Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother is Rahab. Now, to be honest, scholars are a little bit confused about who Solomon is, but there is no confusion at all about who Rahab is. In fact, in the Greek, which you can't see in the English, but in the Greek, um, Matthew adds this, this definite article. Which is, so what it says is, um, Salmon um, is the father of Boaz, whose mother is that Rahab. Not just a Rahab, it is that Rahab. Uh, Matthew just wants to make sure that anyone who's reading this in early days, um, when they get there, they're kind of like, is that the same Rahab? Yes, that Rahab is who we're talking about. So Rahab shows up in the second chapter of Joshua when um, God's people are finally beginning to believe God when he says he's going to give them the promised land. And in the past, the people have really struggled to believe God, but now they're taking steps to trust God's promises. And as things move forward, Rahab is crucial to the story of how they are going to take the land, how Joshua and those who are following him at this point are going to take a walled city called Jericho. It is not an exaggeration to say that Rahab is part of the plan that God has made. And even so, God's using Rahab, having Rahab being part of this plan, at least to us is somewhat surprising because every time she is mentioned, she's always referred to in the same way. Rahab, the prostitute. Now, let me read to you from Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 21. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. 
The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land, so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, though. You might catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you do not tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you have made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story has always fascinated me, especially as a kid. And mainly the reason it fascinated me was because I could not figure out how you could live inside a wall. How, I mean, the walls I'd ever seen were about this wide. How is this lady living inside of a wall? Well, eventually figured that part out. But now this story fascinates me for another reason. Because this story makes clear to me, and I hope to you, that it's never too late. And you're never too far away from God to play an important role in what God is doing. Now, when I first looked at this passage, I thought, well, you know, Rahab just sort of becomes part of God's plan without ever encountering God, which is great. I do know that God uses people who don't really know him to accomplish his will, but with Rahab, it's a little more subtle than that. Because when you look past her job title, which Honestly, it's a little hard to look past. What you see is that she has become a believer in the power of the God of Israel. 
I mean, maybe her life isn't magically fixed, but you know that she knows who God is when she explains to the spies that the entire city is in fear of them. And here's why their hearts are melted within them, because she said she knows the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And that sounds like a confession of faith to me. Rahab's faith comes from hearing these incredible stories, which is what we've been doing. We've been telling stories. She hears these incredible stories of what God has done for his people when he opened the way through the Red Sea and how he has helped them defeat these powerful kings. Now, it's not super clear in the passage what Rahab's life was like at the moment she encountered the spies, but it seems pretty clear that everything had not been cleaned up. And even things were kind of a mess. God uses her. I mean, she had faith. Maybe the faith is you know, the size of a grain of mustard, but, but that was enough for her to become part of God's plan for his people. How often do we think, well, in order for God to use me, in order for God to use somebody else, I have to get everything cleaned up first. I got to get like everything in line. I, I need to take 14 classes, memorize 12 books, also memorize and read the entire Bible before God can ever actually use me. Well, that's clearly not the case. And Rahab teaches us that. God uses her in this powerful way, even though she has this very tiny faith. And it's such a powerful way that she ends up being included in the story of Jesus' genealogy. Do you think that Rahab thought that about herself when this whole thing started? Though Rahab is living a life that's outside of God's law, she's still a woman of faith. She says, I, I know that the Lord has given you this land. That's what she says to the spies who are hiding on her roof under these stalks of flax that she's um, storing up there. And that she never quite outlives her occupation, her reputation. She somehow becomes the mother of a man who himself is pivotal in the story of Jesus. So you never know how God will use you or me, or his people, to achieve his will. Our guest today is Debbie Groner. She is the founder and CEO of Women at the Well. Um, it's a ministry that Evergreen proudly supports. Um, you, support, you support it through your gifts and offerings. Um, Debbie felt moved by God to begin this ministry in 2016. Um, and the ministry provides, among other things, community and support for women in our community. So as Debbie comes up, would you please put your hands together and welcome her to the platform this morning. Asked to, um, to sort of start at the at the end, well, it's not really the end, it's where, where, where you are now, um, but to kind of give us um, an overview of, of what you're doing, what your ministry is, and, and that kind of thing. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how she got here. Thank you, am I on? I don't know, let's see. One never knows these things. I think so now. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Um, 
Well, I'm just privileged to be here to share about something that God put on my heart some years ago. And uh, thank you to Pastor Don and Evergreen and for your amazing support. You have no idea how much that helps us to help the women in the community and beyond. So um, I'll just start out with saying, like Abraham said to God, here I am. And so when I said those words some years ago when God called, and you'll hear the story how we got here. So as Pastor Don said, in 2016, we launched the Women at the Well. And obviously it's based on the scripture from John 4, 13 and 14. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is our living hope and the living water. So when God called me to start this, what we do is the first Thursday night of every month, we've been doing this for seven years, that I have someone, a woman, scheduled to come and share her story of hope, her hope from through redemption and God, how God has saved her. Cindy McCann sitting in the back. She's been one of our speakers among many. I've got my support team, some of my support team and board members. Y'all raise your hand that are here. And we couldn't do what we do without so many women coming along and supporting. So anyway, Stories of Hope, the first Thursday night of every month. I ask all women, all of you here to come and join us. You're going to be blown away. Uh, the, what happens in that room, and we're also on Zoom at the same time for those that can't get there or out of state. We have some that are coming from other locations. We're asking God to expand our territory. So we have just what happens there in that room and the stories of hope being shared are raw and authentic. And it gives the women a place to come to be seen, to be heard. Do you agree that women need to be seen and heard? And there is a safe place for them to share. To We are extending the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Just as the woman at the well experienced that. Jesus knew what she had been doing. But he never condemned her. It was all about his grace. And that's what we're doing. We pray to do that all the time for the ladies coming in. So we started out with the Stories of Hope and also an annual retreat. We have one coming up in November, November 10th to 12th. I'd love to have you join us for that. We're fast at work planning that. We're excited. And the theme for that is going to be obedience to abundance because I've experienced that firsthand. So we're doing that. And then we have um, many other programs that we're implementing we have, um, I will just say that when God puts a vision on my heart and vision continues to grow, I kind of exhaust my team and my board sometimes because like, okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> but they're so gracious to come alongside. Uh, but some of the programs that we are doing already is that uh, we do an outreach twice a year. And January, we did um, uh, suicide intervention training hosted by Lou Coon, and if you don't know him, he's pretty incredible and does an amazing job with that. Um, in, Oct in August, this just coming up August, um, actually because Pastor Don has been so gracious in the church, we're going to host it here, and it's raising awareness on human sex trafficking and domestic violence. 
that's for men and women I recommend you come because especially if you have daughters, granddaughters, um, you know, even grandsons, sons, you need to come hear what's happening. So anyway, that's coming up and then we have our annual barbecue and silent auction fundraiser coming up in October and I'll tell you in a minute why we're doing these fundraising event. We did become a nonprofit of 501c3 in 2020 so we can do this. So we're having that and Louis Alaz is a a uh, professional saxophone player, and he's bringing his live band, um, and we are excited. If you just need to go look him up, he's fabulous, and that'll be our entertainment for that. Um, and there's information outside in the lobby with uh, just different things about that's coming up and how you can support. We welcome that. We welcome prayer first. Um, we have had a single women's conference for the last two years, a half-day conference in the spring. We have a women's tea coming up this next year. Um, we haven't even begun to plan that, but I'm working on some speakers for that. And then we, um, so let's see. We have the retreat in November, and then we just recently started implementing a program for women that have lost children as a support group. It was led by my friend Pat Ellsbury in September of last year. I have for years been asking God, how can we how can we engage young women into our overall ministry? And so I had two beautiful women come along, and they are leading a Young Women's Connection the second Saturday of every month, and that has blown me away. Those women just bless me. They are so hungry for the connection and a place where they can just come and share their hearts, and we're talking about Jesus. And Aisha, if you raise your hand, she's one of our beautiful leaders for that. And um, I, so I'm just so grateful for that. So anyway, have a lot coming. And, um, you know, in Habakkuk 2, uh, 2, anywhere, somewhere in there, um, you know, he, the paraphrase is he says that God put a vision on my heart, but then we have to wait. We have to wait on God to give us the timing for everything. It's all about the timing of him and waiting and being patient is not my virtue. Uh, but I have learned a lot about waiting over these last seven years. So our, our plan is to have our own space where we can house all the programs that are coming, what we're already doing. It will be a space that will be open through the day, like a cafe style, where women can just drop in for a cup of coffee or tea over with a friend. That's a place where someone will be there to listen to them, someone to pray for them. And it will also have you know other rooms where we can... Um, create all these programs that God's been downloading to me. There's so, so many needs. And just a couple of examples are uh, restoring hearts um, to help to support teens in some fashion, uh, celebrate recovery, sexual abuse, ladies, men. One out of every three women that have stepped on our platform to share their story have been sexually abused as a child. And that just breaks my heart. And so we're sharing about that. We're going to have more information about that, workshops on that, uh, legal workshops, finance workshops. Women need to know. A lot of times we are not intentional, but we just don't know because someone else takes care of it. My husband died 14 years ago, and I knew all that stuff, and it was hard. And so you don't want the other hard to be along with that. So that's just some of the things that have been on our heart uh, to share uh, eating disorders, uh, single, widow, divorce, women, um, abortion support. 
I had an abortion when I was 20, and I was selfish, and I was self-centered, and there was only one thing in my mind was Debbie. And so the shame, that's gone because Jesus took that away. Um, and just cancer support, trauma healing, and, and unleashing voices, there's so much to come. We just keep adding, and, uh, but I just wanted to share that with you. So um, thank you again for letting me share what's coming. We're just so we're so glad you're here. Um, we're glad we're yeah. part of what you are doing, um, and as you guys can tell, she God has given her big dreams. I mean, really big dreams, um, and um, and she has said yes, and she keeps moving forward, and I and I think that's just great. Um, but a lot of times, as I said in the last service, a lot of times when people come here who have ministries, this is sort of all we hear, right? We kind of hear where they are and maybe where they're going, but we don't always hear about how they got there. And I think that for me is one of the things that's most compelling about, um, about Debbie and her ministry is how she got here. So just tell us a little bit about the story that's leading up to this. Yeah, I'll try to do this a little faster. Well, yeah. <laughs> last time. But uh, so thank you for asking me to share because Actually, my life and story really starts when I was 12. My brother was eight. He was my only sibling, and he tragically was hit by a car and killed. And so the story started there because my mom, God bless her, because I have no idea. I don't want to know what that feels like. But she took him away from our house. We didn't grieve. We didn't talk about him as the elephant in the room. And so that really kind of how it began, and then some dysfunction began in my life, and um, but I was, I was saved as a child. I was very active in youth group. I had love, love, love for passion for Jesus. Well, at 19, I made my first stupid decision. If you want to say I don't like the word stupid, but it really was. So um, I was planning to go to college, but I met a young man and decided to not go to school and married him. Thought we were going to be married for the rest of our life. And six months later, he walked out the door, never came back. So that was, that was traumatic for me. I was 19 years old. I was very traumatized. But rather than going back to the Lord, to leaning on the Lord for my hurt, my brokenness, I just dove right in and followed this, this man because I was obsessed. I was hurt. And uh, he had gone back to drugs. I didn't know that's what he did prior to me. But I just jumped in there with him. And I got into drugs and alcohol and promiscuity and had this huge craving for men. And it was all, I was sick. I was dysfunctional. And so through this time uh, and then kind of moved forward, I, I then met my um, second husband prior to us getting married. I got pregnant by him. As I mentioned, I had an abortion because it wasn't convenient for Debbie. And so we moved through that, and then I married him, and then ended up that he was an alcoholic. Um, but he's the father of my two beautiful daughters, so I'm so grateful for that. And he, um, so 15 years of alcoholism, abuse, a lot of verbal and emotional abuse to myself and my girls. So we're walking through that, but you know, have to, in the early part of that, I was part, participating in that. I was drinking and partying with him, and we had these girls, and... But then things just started to really show up as far as his, his behavior and our brokenness. And then there came a time when 
we had all the, we had a big home. He was a functional alcoholic who worked hard. We had the, all the big toys, two beautiful daughters. I got to be a stay-at-home mom. On the outside, and do you know people like that? Life looks great. But on the inside, we were depleted. We were beaten up. We were depressed. We were, we were just really nothing. And so there was a day I was standing in my house by myself, and I began to realize, I, I, and I had put God on the shelf. And I said, God, I need you. I can't, I can't do life without you anymore. So at that time, I began to grow, and things began to change, and his redemption, the redemption story began. And so we, I started getting back into the church, and First Presbyterian was where we were at the time. And there's so many people in this room and in the last service that, you know, I love you guys because you've been a part of my story. You've walked some of my story with my husband. So thank you for that. And um, anyway, so uh, a church, and, and, and I didn't know what my purpose was. I had no idea what God wanted me to do, but I was starting to search for that, and I went into a spiritual gift class and started learning. And so I went into a, a Sunday school class one day, and there were all couples. And I felt a nudge from God to say, go start a singles class. So directly after that class, I went to our other pastor, Don, and I said, I need a, class, I need a room to start a singles class. He, that next Sunday, he gave me a room, and we started, and we did that for several years, didn't we, Barbara? Um, and so in that is where I met my, God, my, my godly husband, my soulmate. Uh, so God is sovereign, and no matter what we're walking through. But anyway, so I facilitated that class, and then after that, I, um, I facilitated a codependent support group. I learned a lot about that walking through my dysfunction. And then I had someone from Stephen's Minister, actually many of you knew, Wanda Jennings, and she came, and another one, and said, we want you to come do a continuing ed on um, codependency. So I did that. And that's why I'm beginning to learn what Stephen's ministry was. And then it wasn't long after that that those same two came to me and said, we believe you're supposed to go to leadership training for Stephen's ministry. And I'm like, what is Stephen's ministry? I don't even really know what it is. But any of you, I know a lot of you here have been or are. And uh, typically there's a 50-hour training to be a Stephen's minister before you ever go to leadership training. And they said, no, we think you're supposed to skip that. I was a single mom with two young girls. I had to get a sitter uh, for two weeks at my house. I mean, I, I just kept walking in faith. I just, when he said go, I just said yes, and I, I never knew the plan. I knew, didn't know the, how that was going to take place. So I went to that leadership training for two weeks in Orlando, and, you know, I had recently just put down another one of those men relationships, and... That, and I was done. I was content with the Lord, content with my girls, my career, and if that was what I was to be for the rest of my life, I was fine with that. So I thought I was done. But God always has a way of wherever he puts us, he's training us, he's teaching us about ourselves. So in that training, walked into a room of 400 Christians. It was fabulous from all over the country. Uh, thought I was in heaven. And I sat down at this table that I was assigned to, and there was a young, and keep in mind I was young then, um, there was a young youth pastor at my table, and guess what? I was so attracted to him, and he was me, but he was married, 
And I'm like, I thought I was done with that. But God was teaching me through that, still that dependency on the Lord and not men. And fortunately, this young man was stronger in the Lord than I was at the time to resist the attraction that we were feeling. So at the end of that, uh, at tra- that uh, two weeks, they did commissioning, and I was standing before these people that were commissioning at us, and I felt like an inch high because I'm like, God, I am not worthy of this call. I am not worthy. And it made me think of what the disciples must have felt when they were called, you know, because they're just ordinary people doing crazy things in their lives. And so that First Corinthians scripture out of 1, First Corinthians 1, says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you about the testimony about God. So moving forward, I served as a Stevens leader for 10 years, and so grateful, and some of you that I know that from the other service, you know, served in that, that with me, and so grateful. So I did that, and then, and then um, you know, just kind of moving through life, and my husband uh, had 15 beautiful years with him, and then in 2009, he passed away from a four-year cancer battle, and I'm so grateful for some of you in this room that walked that journey with us. Thank you for that. Um, but I will tell you today that I would not have the humble honor and privilege to serve in this capacity for Jesus if he were still here. That's another thing that I had to walk through, but God has taken all the good, bad, and the ugly that I've walked through to use me, to call me to a ministry that I never know what I'm doing. He's always equipping us, and he's bringing and bringing all these beautiful women alongside that I want to serve this way, I want to serve this way. He's filling in all the gaps. He's filling all the needs as he puts those needs on my heart, and I pray for certain people, and then there they come. God is so faithful. So in 2014, um, I was a mortgage loan officer for 24 years. And now all my immediate family was gone. In 2013, I lost my mother and my aunt, who was like my other mom. The 2014, I'm like, okay, now it's time to focus on me, focus on my business. And I hired a, a business coach, and I knew of him. I knew he was a Christian just to get refocused on my business to survive. And God actually used him to coach me out of that business. So we had a couple of phone calls, and then one day he said to me, what are your dreams? And I was very emotional because I said, I have no dreams, but they were wrapped up in my husband. So I, don't, I have no idea who I am. Well, God began to stir my heart and start to show in me the things that he had for my heart. You see, if we walk in God's will, it's his heart, is our heart. And so that's what I began to hear. And so through that, in that time of coaching 
and God started putting all this on my heart. And then by the end of 2014, I was 60 years old. I had no benefits if I left. I had no income if I left. But I said, here I am. And I said yes to the call that he had on my life. I had no idea where I was headed. I had no idea. Like Abraham, he took a walk, but he didn't know. And as I tell you, if God's nudging you today, there is something he has for you, just say yes. Because you said we don't have to have all these things figured out and organized and be prepared, be prepared, because guess what? God's the one that prepares us. He's the one that equips us and gives us all that we need. I'm just an ordinary person. You know, I don't have anything beyond a high school education. But I did go get, I, so when I left that business, he called me to go and be certified as a chaplain. And so when I did that at Piedmont Fayette Hospital, I, being, I had a, I, had a um, I was kind of drawn to that hospice arena. And I thought that's what I was going to do. So I went through this training for six months at the hospital, had to do all those chaplain uh, clinicals, and I ended up in the room that my husband passed out, passed away in. So see, God was always healing me wherever I was. He was taking me in different circumstances. He had got to heal. Because we have to walk through that healing to be able to minister to others, to be able to bless others along the way. But we don't have to be perfect there because we're always healing. But I walked in that room, and I went to a gentleman and the bed and the space where my husband passed away. The God gave me a little glimpse of him, you know, all those years ago. But then to brought me back to this gentleman. I prayed for him and I walked out and I was healed from that. Glory to God. Mm. But that had to happen. He's a sovereign God and he knows where we need to be and what he's going to do with it every step of the way. There's so many other ways I could tell you. It's all chronicled in my book. And um, I published that in 2018, if anybody would like to hear more of a story. But anyway, so I left there. I left that business. I went through the certification. Thought I was going to hospice. And he said, no, you, got, you keep going. And so there's some other things that he, the other part of the journey that he took me on. And then in later 2015, it was like a billboard flashing. The woman at the well, the woman at the well, the woman at the well. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Because... Many, many years ago when I was married, he would put on my heart that I was to do something about community and care, and that's all I ever got. So now he was revealing. He was putting that vision on my heart. And so he began to tell me different women to go reach out to, some I didn't know. I'd call them and say, God said, I need to meet with you, and some of them end up serving on our team for a while. He's sovereign. And so we started, we launched that in 2016 again as a faith of a mustard seed, Always obedient. There's a whole theme running through my life. As everywhere he was putting me, he was nudging me, go, go, go. And I just would go. And I didn't know what I was doing. And every time I was so blessed by it. And every time I was learning. And I was growing spiritually. And so we don't have to, he uses the ordinary. He uses the broken. He calls the broken. So I just want to thank you for letting me share my story. And I'm just so grateful for you, Pastor Donnie. Well, I'm grateful for you taking the time to share your story and being so honest in the middle of all of it. And the thing that I would say to you is, and the reason that I thought this was such an important story is because so many people say, well, God's calling me, but I can't because, and 
I mean, Debbie at 60 said, okay, I'm going to step off this cliff and we're going to see what happens, right? And it's so good where God has taken you. In fact, I was thinking about this. I didn't say this in the other service, but I will bet you that all along through this adventure, I mean, I'm sure there were moments that were terrifying, um, but I also know there were moments where you were like, I can't believe you're doing this, God. I mean, that God is doing these incredible things. And, and I just want to encourage you that no matter where you are, no matter what you think stands between you and carrying out what God is calling you to do, if you will just take the next faithful step, God will continue to be with you and encourage you. I mean, look, there is no reason that every person in this room can't be a really important part of what God is doing in, in his kingdom. And so it's really about knowing your dreams and knowing your heart. Now, Debbie has very specific and very big dreams. <laughs> but you don't have to have a giant dream. You just got to follow whatever God is putting in front of you to the next step, just to see where, where he takes you. So um, I, I, I'm so grateful that you came. And um, I hope, and we, we, will, we will continue to stay in contact and um, keep everybody informed about you, what you guys are up to. So let me, let me pray for you and us.